0: Hey there, folks. Welcome to another episode of the Cracked Podcast, the podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm the head of podcasting here at Cracked. I'm also known as Schmitty the Clam. I'm also known as Schmidt the Champ, and I am also, also confident today's episode applies to any holidays you celebrate. Whatever your culture or religion or tradition might be, this show is for you because here's the topic. We're talking about why the holidays are secretly crucial to our survival. One more time, that is why the holidays are secretly crucial to our survival. And we're releasing this show on December 23rd because many of our show's listeners celebrate Christmas. If you do, Merry Christmas, good buddy. And this episode exists thanks to my holly jolly guest this week. I'm joined by someone who writes for Cracked and the New York Times bestseller list as David Wong. His true name is Jason Pargin. And he has a fantastic column that this episode springs from. Also, uh, I think it's worth saying that, yes, this episode's coming out around Christmas, and Jason and I both grew up with Christmases as our thing. Also both in Illinois, fun fact. But I think it's worth saying the column that this show springs from, Jason wrote it toward Thanksgiving when he did, and another writer or podcast host could have uh, made something similar around Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur or Chinese New Year or Ramadan or Vesuk or another holiday uh, that you were upset I failed to list. You're right to be upset. I'm so sorry. The point is the concrete reasons holidays matter that we'll get into today apply to all traditions year round. Uh, We're also drawing on some research and also some things that we feel are common knowledge and we feel are common experiences. Uh, You're welcome to reject them if you like, but I think they will apply to most everybody. Also, with a few rare exceptions, uh, all Cracked Podcast episodes are designed to be evergreen, which is a a media term for a thing that is something people would want to experience and consume any time, not just at a particular time of year. Uh, So I'm glad this holiday show works that way, too. It's not just a Christmas show. It's for everything. Also, this show is a lot about our psychology, both as individuals and as a group. And again, that's partly scientific, partly what Jason and I have seen in the world. And I think that's all the setup you need. So please sit back or sit in that one sleigh that's in all the songs about jingle bells and sleigh bells and other other holiday bells. I don't know if that sleigh is nice to ride in. It sounds very loud. I, th- I think I would not be able to hear myself think, but you do you, sleigh drivers. Anyway, here's this episode of the Cracks Podcast with Jason Pargin. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then.
1: So I mentioned on the last episode, which we did around the spooky season, that Halloween is my favorite holiday. And in fact, uh, I don't know if you know this, but Halloween is actually the fastest growing holiday in America. Like in terms of how much money people spend on it, that kind of thing. Especially Mm. among millennials, Halloween is the one that is people are spending more on costumes, decorations, and all that. That feels important to me in context of what we're going to talk about today, because Halloween is the one major holiday where no one kind of knows what it's celebrating. Like if you ask people, you know, everyone grew up, this is a majority Christian country. Everybody knows the origins of Christmas. Everyone learned in school about Thanksgiving uh, and the pilgrims and all that. Of course, the 4th of July, uh, you know, Valentine's day. But if you go around and ask people, well, what occasion is halloween celebrating and it's like uh skeletons (laughs) (laughs) and it is interesting to me that the one holiday we're embracing is the one kind of nonsense holiday that doesn't have any actual cultural significance And to you out there who know the academic, like, historical origins of the holiday, I realize there are origins. I'm saying the average person in America who celebrates it has no idea. It is just the spooky day. It is the day when we put on costumes. But it is interesting that that is becoming the holiday that we like the most. So I think it's worth getting into... Why we have holidays and in terms of relevance to our listeners, what I believe they do for your mental health.
0: That Halloween example is so interesting because also I I feel like if I was pressed and somebody said like, well, you have to come up with the religious or mythological or cultural old origin of Halloween. My best guess would be like the devil, you know, (laughs) which is a weird thing to celebrate. And I'm sure it's not that Because all the other big holidays we think of, like you say, there's some kind of non-demonic cultural or religious tradition that's usually what they're springing from. And it, it seems like that is something that maybe we're moving away from, especially the religious part.
1: And that is fine. And in fact, in my youth, all of the movies about Christmas, which of course are all about, you know, embracing the true meaning of Christmas, it's the rare Christmas movie that ends with everyone just saying, "Oh yeah, Christmas is just a garbage holiday and we <laughs> should abolish it." <laughs> they of course most, you know, mainstream Hollywood movies are not religious in nature. You don't, you know, you go on a Christian broadcasting channel and you'll get some movie starring Kirk Cameron that's about how people need to remember that it is about our Lord and Savior. But it has been a secular thing for many generations where every year, there's a new movie that is about this extremely wealthy middle-class, upper-middle-class family who lives in a $4 million house, and they have forgotten the meaning of Christmas because they're so obsessed with their their tons of money and buying buying the hottest gift. And the lesson they have to learn at the end is, no, it's not about buying the hottest gift for your children. It's about spending time with your family. Or... It's about generosity it's about this this one time of year giving something to a homeless person because it could turn out that homeless person is is secretly santa claus or whatever the plot of the movie they chose to frame it as so we have been getting for a long time these messages that well christmas is really about togetherness and family and generosity and goodwill toward your fellow man I don't feel like for most of our listeners and our demographic that that message really resonates because I feel like at this point that is just as bland and disconnected as it's about remembering our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I feel like that message is also very generic and I feel like we've reached a tipping point We kind of don't see why we have it, especially on social media. I see a lot of angst about having to travel, about having to spend time with family. Obviously, there's economic things with with shopping and all that. And, of course, there's the political angle of it with the supposed war on Christmas. It feels like we're almost to a point where if Christmas was not this enormous economic force and if our retail industry did not revolve entirely around it, that most people have kind of checked out on it and for good reason, I think.
0: We're starting to say, okay, we, we get the general values of this. I don't need to necessarily fly across the nation and buy a dozen presents in order to celebrate it. Like I, can, I can just keep being someone who's all about togetherness and charity and the other positive things.
1: Yeah. And so it gets to the core question that I think probably no one ever stops to ask, which is... Why are holidays, any holidays, a thing? Why can you go to any culture on earth through all of history and find that they have these specific days where you're required to stop working and do something that costs money and resources? Either giving gifts or throwing a feast or holding a sacrifice and sacrifices, you know, they would have to take a lot of their finest cattle or whatever and just burn it. Why do you have these days when you're marking whatever you're marking, the harvest, the spring, the, the date that your culture won its independence, some historical battle. Why do we do this? Why? Because I feel like in the same way that we're reaching historical lows of people being religious due to the internet and social media and people kind of talking to each other and saying, wait, why, why was this ever a thing? It's kind of the same thing here. Anything that we have in society that is purely a ceremony or a ritual, I think is kind of back up for debate. That's not a bad thing, but I also feel like people may not understand why this is a thing and why it should, in my opinion, continue to be a thing. And I realize it it may sound silly. Like I'm arguing in favor of Christmas when we celebrate it for like four straight months, but but I am, I am actually arguing in favor of you personally finding ways to get something positive out of Christmas and whatever way you can find to do it. And not just seeing it as a thing that gets imposed upon you, like tax day, like, Oh, this is when the economy says I am required to do this. I, I feel like, The benefits that can come with holidays, it works better when you actually embrace it, when you actually enjoy it and get what is sacred about it. Even if you have to make that meaning for yourself, we're going to make the case today that it is something worth doing.
0: I feel like, the main way the importance of holidays at all gets talked about in America, if anybody talks about it, is this war on Christmas narrative that a few people are pushing in, in order to sell books to Republicans. You know, like, oh, it's it's you and me and Jesus in a foxhole and everyone's after us and we have to, like, that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about the broad idea of holidays uh, that are celebrated many ways in many cultures. Like, there'll be over a billion people celebrating Chinese New Year pretty soon. This also applies to that kind of thing.
1: because. Because we do have this argument around lots of holidays in America. They've all, for instance, if I go on my Facebook around Veterans Day or Memorial Day, I will see plenty of memes with like, a minion on there shouting about, "Hey you! You don't just take today to like do yard work. You need to stop and remember our veterans. You need to stop and remember their their sacrifice."
0: Or it's always uh, a minion too. Uh, they they love they love talking about stuff. That,
1: that is the that is the language of Facebook. Uh,
0: so I love that I love that in so, the movies minions don't really speak in clear language, and then in the memes they say extremely concrete things about being sassy or or about the importance of sacred things. It's really weird.
1: (laughs) Yes, they're very strident. So, So it is hard to defend this without seeming like we're taking their side. But that's my point. If you arrive at the end of this podcast saying, well, okay, but we need new and better holidays, I will not disagree with you. But my fear is that it's easy to get yourself in a mindset where you kind of don't feel like stopping to celebrate anything That, I think, is deadly.
0: Yeah. And when we look at these existing holidays we have and we ask, why do they have holidays at all? And also, most of this episode is drawing on a great column you wrote that is about the importance of holidays, but was also written around Thanksgiving. Because Thanksgiving or Christmas or or any other holiday uh, in a culture, it can have a really important purpose for, you know, making us all feel okay about being alive. I think that's great.
1: Yeah. And I'm going to issue the standard disclaimer before talking about mental health or mental health tips. Anything that is a tip about well-being or mental well-being, anything like that, it is extremely difficult to nail down any kind of science behind it. This is very difficult to study. We've done entire episodes about why it's difficult to study. It's the same thing like today, trying to get data on what effect social media has on someone. It would seem obvious that heavy social media media use causes anxiety, depression among young people, that sort of thing. Actually finding studies that show that, very hard. Because what you would have to do is get a control group and an experiment group and study them over the course of years, and that's hard to do. So when I start talking about how, why I think this is important, I will admit I'm not coming at this as an expert. I believe what I'm saying is self-evident, And we're going to make the case, for example, the starting point from this is the idea that if you look at tips for wellness or fighting anxiety, one of the things that you constantly hear, and I think this is something that therapists tell you to do, is to stop and regularly celebrate victories, small victories. They will say the same thing. You'll see this in like business advice classes, like for your company, you should get everyone together and celebrate when you've closed a deal. Stopping working, stopping the routine to acknowledge that a good thing has just happened. To me, it makes perfect sense because if you're just kind of on a treadmill every day of every day, you wake up with a new list of crap you have to do. And like a day closer to death, it can, (laughs) it can put you into this, (laughs) this kind of cloudy mindset where time just runs together and like a, a slog Yeah, we're just breaking up the routine and not breaking up the routine in the way that a car accident breaks up your routine, I think is huge for an individual. I think that holidays exist because doing it as a culture is equally huge and for the exact same reasons.
0: For a completely non-holiday example of that, I just had a guest recently who is a stand-up comedian and put out what I think is a great comedy album, and, and I was talking about it with him off mic, and they said basically that they hadn't really taken time to be glad about their album. like They've just been going, 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 and doing, doing, doing. When I told them how much I like the album, they had a little bit forgotten that they made it. We all run into things like that. I'm not trying to criticize them or anything, but it's from holidays to accomplishments to uh, still being alive in the morning. Uh, It's nice to like stop and notice that that is a good thing because otherwise you're missing out on something.
1: And already I worry that people are tuning out because you have heard, well, stop and smell the roses. Damn it. And then the obvious response is, well, okay, but I have to be back at work at my second job in four hours. How much do you want me to, like you are putting a burden on me by saying, no, you should stop and and backpack across Europe for a month (laughs) to appreciate the beauty of that continent. And so this is why I mentioned earlier that a lot of the movies that were about this, about Christmas, they it's this extremely upper class family where the whole thing is that sure. Our father is, you know, one of the top five surgeons in the world, but he needs to take time for the, the family. And that is something I don't think resonates in 2019 with most people. And the same thing with, well, you need to kick back and stop and appreciate the good things in life. There's two different groups of people. There's people who are out of work and have all sorts of time to stop and celebrate things, but have nothing to celebrate. Or people that, just don't have time at all because all of your spare moments are, ha- are booked with all of the many things. If you've got kids, if you've got you know a yeah. family, if you've got multiple jobs. And so it kind of falls on deaf ears at both ends. And so it seems like advice that's kind of out of touch, but that is exactly my point. I think there are cultural reasons why we're not doing the holiday thing anymore, or at least not in the way we did it in the past and that we're losing the benefits of it. I, I'm not criticizing anyone for failing to do it. And in terms of what the example you just used, I just turned in a book uh, two weeks ago. It's hey. coming out next year. It's a sequel to Futuristic the novel Futuristic Violence yeah, and Fancy yeah, yeah. Suits. And the title is going to be Zoe Punches the Future in the Dick. <laughs> I celebrated turning in the, the manuscript by realizing i was like a month behind on the other manuscript i have to get done oh. <laughs> in 2 years for for john dice at the end four okay there was no hey we're going to go spend a weekend in maui the way you would see if you're watching a movie about an author where they're like all very wealthy and they it's like no i'm going to go out on my boat for a weekend and so and enjoy this the way the schedule set up, I have another job, the way the expectations are set up, there's no time for that.
0: I'm especially glad we're talking about the importance of holidays in a Christmas context, because I feel like some part of me and maybe other people can feel like Christmas is almost an old economy luxury, you know, like it's one of the more expensive holidays if you do it in the relatively traditional way. And I think it can be easy for people to say, well, I just I don't have the money to do this blowout expensive like in the movies Christmas, so I'll probably just let go of the whole thing. Totally fine if you don't want to buy a bunch of presents, but it also seems like just being able to take the time, which also has value, is still maybe uh, worth prioritizing.
1: So to put this into a larger context, right now in America, there is a trend that is a fairly short-term trend but where a life expectancy after going up for as far back as we can remember has started to dip and it has started to go down for a few very specific reasons. And it has to do with drug addiction, alcoholism. There's of course an opioid epidemic. There's a heroin epidemic specifically around certain regions of the country that have been hit very hard. And then there's a lot of other things, you know, about obesity What they kind of talk about are like diseases of despair, that kind of thing, or deaths of despair, I think is a term some people use, where you're lumping in overdoses, you know, alcoholism, all of these things that basically come down to people having addictions or fighting depression, suicides, all of those lumped together. America is in the middle of kind of an epidemic of that.
0: We'll have a New York Times link here about various stats on that, and one of them is that the deaths of despair, which is a category including drug overdoses and suicide and uh, alcohol abuse, it's up nationally among working-age Americans, and also there's a relatively new trend where that trend is the worst in red states or the states that have voted Republican in presidential elections. And about 20 years ago, that was not the case. These these deaths were pretty common in the same way that they across states. But now it's, it's more specifically these Republican states.
1: And you could say, well, that, that trend just follows economic decline or unemployment. It kind of does and it kind of doesn't. We're in a situation where, to some degree, the amount of anxiety and depression and things like that we're feeling diverge on the graph a little bit from the actual situation because you can go you can go read about how well nationwide. The economy has been growing since 2009, since after the collapse, you know, through the Obama years, uh, employment doing much, much better, you know, wages doing much, much better and even, even lower wages and unemployment. Like the numbers all look good on a line graph. And if you go to one of the sites that are based on like financial news, like CNBC, and it's all about stocks and wall street, like that's all you hear about. It's like, wow, we've had Still strong economic news. This is why you know, Trump's odds for reelection re- are about 50-50 because in a strong economy, hard to beat the incumbent. It has to feel like reading headlines from some alternate universe or some or cruel mockery. If that is the news at the same time, you have record numbers of people deciding this is just not worth it? There are many, many things that factor in. That have come together to, to cause this as a culture, part of it, it seems like is we have built a system that is kind of a perfect anxiety generating machine. And again, we've done entire episodes about this, but you have a news industry that has perfected the art of outrage and fear and scaring you with headlines and, and enraging you with headlines. We have social media that has perfected the art of like feeding this among tribes and kind of putting out this pervasive idea that the world is ending, that the world is falling apart, which it is not, but it is beneficial to a lot of parties to make you think that, and it is profitable to a lot of parties to make you think that. And we have a system that is, There's not much profit in making you feel better. It's a cycle of making you the most anxious and uncertain, and then selling you solutions to that anxiety and uncertainty specifically continue to watch our news channel to find out the latest about when you're going to die or, or what, what horrible thing your children are doing, you know, keep watching, keep reading, keep clicking and trying to translate people's anxiety into revenue. So any kind of a tip that's like, Hey, here as a culture are things that used to be baked into the culture to kind of keep us from having a collective meltdown. It may be time to go back and look at what those things are because it's very easy to say, well, what these people actually need is healthcare or jobs or that's true. But There is a level of anxiety and depression and the rates of people seeking treatment for it and being medicated for it and self-medicating for it that is off the charts, even when accounting for the joblessness and and all of those things. Cause that part is not new. We had a garbage economy in the seventies and then parts of the eighties. What we're going through right now seems to be somewhat unique in that the levels at which people are kind of just fed up with the whole thing seem to be reaching like critical highs
0: one way to look at it in the broadest possible sense for uh reasons including that anxiety and also lack of access to health care and other things too in terms of the health of our society one way to look at it is life expectancy and we've got stats here from pbs news hour and cnn As you said, the economy has been up and up since 2009. Obviously, it started from a crash then, but it has been improving. And then in spite of that, in 2010, U.S. life expectancy plateaued, It flattened out. And then also the stats say that every year from 2014 to 2017, life expectancy in the U.S. dipped a little bit. Which is not how it's supposed to work in in modern times and in a developed country. And there's there's no obvious entire national disaster that would be causing it. It's, it seems like it's the kind of thing where a lot of factors, including these deaths of despair we mentioned, are causing a really really atypical shift in life expectancy. The stories also interview Robert Anderson, who is the chief of mortality statistics with the National Center for Health Statistics. And he says that U.S. life expectancy has not trended down in this way where it happens multiple years in a row uh, since the influenza pandemic of 1918, the the enormous, horrible, uh, lethal disease going around. The huge caveat there is this is a much smaller shift than there was then when scores of people were dying from a disease. But it is atypical, it is weird, and uh, it's indicative of a overall physical and mental health thing that should be addressed.
1: And just those years are important because I think uh, if I said this on Twitter, everyone would reply, well, yeah, it's because of Trump. It's Trump anxiety. It, it's people, it's this, this anxiety Trump is, well, no, this dates back to the middle of the Obama years. Yeah. And after the Affordable Care Act was passed and millions of people gained health care for the first time, health insurance yeah. for the first time. That you have a trend that didn't happen during the Great Depression or during <laughs> right. World War II when it looked like the actual apocalypse was occurring or during the 60s when America almost came as close to a revolution as we had since the Civil War, when you had actually you know shooting occurring and riots in the streets. That's weird. Something has changed, (laughs) something that that you cannot blame on one politician, something you can't blame on one event. It is a string of things and a string of changes. Now, I have been quick to say on previous podcasts that this coincides with the rise of social media, which, again, I believe is a piece of software designed to, to convert your anxiety into cash for someone else. (laughs) <laughs> but that also is not so simple. You could certainly find a study saying, hey, we're seeing the same trend among people who don't use social media at all. People don't even own a computer. We're seeing the same thing. There is something in the air. And I realize this episode has taken a dark turn because it started out being about holidays. But <laughs> the point I was making in that article is that we have built a culture that. Doesn't seem to see the benefit of stopping to celebrate anything because after all, well, why, what's worth celebrating? Everything has gone to hell. And it's like, well, some things are kind of always going to hell at all times. The reason cultures have these days when even if a volcano has just erupted and and wiped out half of the village, we will still stop and celebrate the harvest or whatever is because Of That it's because even in the middle of this torrent of bad news, you're now being fed 24 hours a day that this ritual of stopping and appreciating whatever is good about the world, whatever it is you want to celebrate is probably more important than ever. But we're also in the least mood to do it, but that's why you need to do it. That's, that's the cruel paradox here.
0: Yeah, maybe that leads us into, uh, in particular, how we try to deal with perceived problems or real problems, right? Especially uh, with the ones that are on a whole societal level. It seems like we have some specific instincts in terms of what we want to do about that.
1: There is a book that I have not read. I've only read multiple reviews and breakdowns of it. But the book is called Secular Cycles, and I don't know how True or well-supported it is, but it posits something that makes sense broadly, which is that there are kind of cycles of optimism and pessimism in cultures. There are these periods where everyone is kind of down on everything, and then we kind of get sick of that, and then... There's other periods where people are more positive and optimistic.
0: If people want to look the book up directly, in addition to our links, it's called Secular Cycles, and it's by Peter Turchin and Sergei Nefedov. Like you say, whether or not they nail the science of it, it's a useful schema to think about this.
1: I can distinctly remember the post-Cold War years of the early and mid-90s, and there was a lot of Hey, this is the end of a bad part of history. There was, I mean, the Clinton years had plenty of optimism, plenty of, Hey, these are the good times to the point that all of the movies that came out in 1999, like fight club and the matrix and American beauty, we had all these movies that were, where the plot was, but really isn't all of this wealth and security. Couldn't there be too much of a good thing? (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it? Isn't it robbing our middle-class, upper-middle-class white males of their need to be heroes because there's no more challenges left? Isn't the endless comfort of today's world in our big elaborate apartments and that we're furnishing with stuff from Ikea, isn't that really the key to happiness? Don't we need a kind of a struggle or something? It looks ridiculous now because that was like a pre-9-11 world. But, man, that was, the, that was the 90s, or at least that was what mainstream culture was telling us the 90s were. That was a period of optimism. 9-11 occurs. I would argue that was a distinct period of pessimism because with the Iraq War, in terms of people losing their faith in the government, that sort of thing. So whether or not this book, and we will link to one of the reviews for it, whether or not this book has a scientific basis, I think it is broadly true and very easy to see. That there are these cycles, there are these periods where we just decide that we're going to uh, be optimistic for a while, and then we're going to decide to be to be miserable for a while. And uh, it uh, seems fairly clear we're in the latter right now. We're going to talk in two terms here because there's personally in your own personal life, and then there's as a culture as a whole. I realize it is more relevant when you talk directly about individuals in your brain, you, the listener listening to this, obviously you are going to focus on negative things because they tend to need your attention without even talking about evolution in the brain or anything like that. It's just common sense. If your kitchen is on fire, I'm not going to ask you to stop and appreciate the other four rooms of the house that are not on fire. You've, you've got to go put the kitchen out. I, I get it. The problem is the way the system is set up right now, where you're in a continual stage of some level of economic insecurity or schedule insecurity or political insecurity or something, it basically makes it so that you're kind of just hopping from one crisis to the next, or that you perceive you're hopping from one crisis to the next. This is destructive because it is very easy and I say destructive. I don't just mean in terms of your happiness. I mean, in terms of your being effective as a human being and being successful at whatever you want to do in life. If you wake up every day and you only see what's broken, if you don't stop and appreciate what you have, it's not just a happiness thing. It's not just this sappy thing like, oh, you should appreciate your family and friends. If you don't, consciously and mentally stop and appreciate what in your life is working whether it be the friends you have the family you have your support system your own talents your own skills it is extremely difficult to succeed in the future because you will wind up with a skewed idea of what makes you successful because you're only thinking in terms of what you do wrong what you did wrong That's the thing about stopping to celebrate wins, even if they're routine, even if you successfully made it to therapy for three months in a row or something, stopping to pat yourself on the back, this system will make it feel like that's a dereliction of duty because after all, there's some crisis you should be tending to in our individual lives. And as a culture, we are almost allergic to doing that, to stopping and saying, Hey, you know what? Actually, this thing that looked like a crisis a month ago, we actually, it actually turned out to be no big deal. Or, or we successfully avoided it through our own actions because it's always just on to the next thing. And part of yeah. this is fed by the popular culture. I think our culture in the news and in our movies and our stories we tell, it's always heavily biased toward some kind of crisis or something because that's entertaining that's what makes you pay attention
0: it really grabs attention all the time it all it also feels like most of the way we hear about things going on there's no way to like thread on the next thing that happened i guess like in pure design terms twitter is actually useful for like threading a second tweet to say update. Uh, there's more information that's come about this story. But basically, every news story I come across, or tweet, because people don't do it right, is just, ah, there's a crisis happening. And then you never hear, oh, how'd it turn out with that Pacific garbage patch or whatever's going on. You just uh, You just have to kind of let it wash over you.
1: And there's a reason for that. And there's a reason why we have this built in bias that that I think has only revealed itself in the mass media era, which is very, very recent in terms of human culture. It's it's so hard to remind people. I mean, television only goes back like 80 years. Radio only goes back, I don't know, a hundred plus years. That's very recent. Social media obviously only goes back a decade or so. The way we process the world, is completely new. And I think the inability to appreciate the everyday kind of positives is directly a response to that because of the way, just the way the world is now pre-packaged to us. My favorite example, and we will link to the YouTube clip, (laughs) assuming, (laughs) assuming it is still live. (laughs) One of the most important movie scenes of my childhood was from the 1985 film death wish three in this film, which as people not unfamiliar with the death wish series, the first movie was about a middle-class white man whose wife is murdered. And then he goes on a revenge spree. And it's kind of about how this broke him as a man and about the cost of revenge and, and obsession and that kind of thing. But it came out in the middle of an absolute crime epidemic in America, the seventies and eighties were a crime emergency. So in the film death wish three, he has arrived at a neighborhood that has a crime problem and is overrun with crime. And they've asked for his, his help. And in this clip, he is explaining how he is going to fix this neighborhood's crime problem. He has bought a larger gun, <laughs> that it arrives in mail over the mail in mail order um, that he, I guess he got it from a catalog and he explains how the bullet this gun fires is much bigger than what other guns fire. <laughs> and that's how he's going to fix the crime. So then in the next scene, he goes out, takes the gun for a test drive. He takes an expensive camera and slings it over his shoulder and walks down the street, basically inviting someone to come steal the camera. Cause again, the, the neighborhood's overrun with crime a street thug, stereotypical 80s street thug, comes and steals the camera and runs away. Charles Bronson pulls out his giant gun and shoots the running man in the back, dead. And he is the hero of the film <laughs> because the, the theft of his $200 camera. Now, I, I want to warn everyone in real life. If someone steals your camera... And you pull out a giant gun and shoot them dead in the back. There's a really strong chance that you will be the one who goes to jail. That, that's actually frowned upon. Okay. In 1985, yeah. the theater stood up and cheered when this happened. Because, yes, if only we could shoot everyone who steals cameras. Now, Hollywood's answer to solving big problems always looks like that. It is is someone, even movies made today, it is ultimately someone pulling out a giant gun or weapon of some kind and killing the bad guy who's causing the problem. And then the problem is, is gone. In reality, in the decades since 1985, violent crime has plummeted in America. And contrary to what we saw in movies like this or in RoboCop, it was not because they gave the police much, much larger guns. It was a whole bunch of very boring solutions. Some of them terrible, but yeah. it was a whole lot of better police techniques, better mental health techniques, mental health medications, things like that. The invention of the internet, people getting more indoor hobbies, staying inside, playing video games, browsing the internet instead of going out and doing in, doing things where they could actually encounter their enemies or whatever. It was a lot of very boring solutions. Getting the lead out of gasoline may have made a difference because lead poisoning messes with your impulse control. It was a combination of probably a hundred different factors. The problem was solved to a very, very large degree. Violent crime, no one in 1985, if they solved these statistics for where violent crime is at now, they would think we were living in like a utopia it is shocking how much it dropped yeah. but it did drop and it dropped for a lot of reasons that are not entertaining at all just as the we have largely repaired the hole in the ozone layer which when i was a kid was presented as an apocalyptic scenario yeah right the solutions to that involved a ton of cooperation between governments a ton of cooperation between governments and corporations that make this stuff, a ton of new regulations. It did not involve somebody inventing like a giant ozone healing laser <laughs> that they then had to launch into space. And then they got it up just at the last second, just before it exploded to heal the ozone layer in a movie. That's what it would look like. Movies right. favor two things. Crises and then solutions to the crisis that really occur too late. Because obviously cleaning up the crime in a neighborhood, there's many, many things you could do in terms of uh, education and jobs and support and, and make it so people are not stealing to support themselves in terms of you know an economic investment, uh, mental health care, all sorts of things, a, a drug treatment, that do not just involve buying a much larger gun and shooting the criminals. (laughs) Hollywood favors the, the big gun solution and it favors presenting crises in a way that they can only be solved by a big gun.
0: I wish that Dirty Harry scene was you think he's going to pull out a much larger gun, but he pulls out like a lead free plastic piece of plumbing, you know, like he's like, I've got this tube now. It would be much more fun in a very ironic way. It's not uh, actually fun in a movie sense.
1: Correct. Solutions did not used to have to be fun. <laughs> That's the thing. <laughs> Boom! In the mass, In the mass media era... The things that draw our attention are almost entirely what is the most entertaining thing. And usually the thing that is most entertaining is not something that is just prevention or maintenance. You have a Kurt Vonnegut quote here, I believe.
0: It's from his book Hocus Pocus, and it was a quote where he says, Another flaw in the human character is that everybody wants to build and nobody wants to do maintenance. End quote. I'm particularly glad you brought up that ozone layer story because we we cited it a ways back in a podcast episode and it was an episode about just good news nobody is thinking about because I I heard so much about the ozone layer when I was a little kid. Like that was the main threat to all of us remaining alive as far as I was told. And then it's a thing that has, like you said, through a lot of multinational agreements and efforts been uh, reduced in scale and may be closed completely.
1: So why... Does the crisis make news and become part of the cultural bloodstream? And why does the solution go almost entirely unnoticed? Even though the solution is more important than the crisis because we didn't die. That's the key. Yeah. If we had had a special day when we stopped to celebrate that we had fixed it, it would be different. Because you would have to force everyone to stop and and say, hey, we did something good. And if you're saying, well, that's idiotic. You want a ozone layer fixed day? I'm saying that's what holidays are. You had a holiday to celebrate the harvest. You had a holiday to celebrate that we had made it through another winter. You had a holiday to celebrate the revolution, that that we that we won a war and won independence for our country. Those yeah. are things that are not outstanding crises. Those are things that we don't need to stop and oh my gosh, we gotta stop and fix you know, there's an asteroid headed toward the earth. We need everyone's attention. This is the opposite. This is saying, hey, everyone gather around. We need everyone's attention. This is a, a culture wide all hands meeting, and we are going to stop and celebrate. Something good that is routine. We planted the food. We successfully harvested it. We're not going to starve. If you say, well, that's unremarkable, it doesn't matter. You need to stop and acknowledge the unremarkable things because you're taking them for granted. And if you take them for granted, the culture falls apart.
0: And as far as holidays we do have that sort of do that, in, in addition to all these holidays just marking the passage of another year and and uh, the passage of certain specific times of the year. There's another Vonnegut thing where he particularly celebrates Armistice Day, and less so Veterans Day, because he feels that Armistice Day in particular, it is like a, a big sexy thing because it's about World War One uh, and it's about a major conflict and violence and fighting that, that we like to document in culture but it's a very specific holiday to celebrate, hey, we are not in a brutal, senseless world war, and we were able to end one, and this, this November, again, we are not in a massive, horrible world war. Obviously, they were in World War II and other times. That might be the closest that I can think of that we come to with a holiday specifically celebrating a modern, boring thing of, here we are at peace again, and peace is not boring, boring, but it's not sexy. Uh, so that's, that's kind of nice that we have that.
1: And I feel like his argument was the armistice was a sacred thing. Yeah. Whereas for a Veterans Day, it's easy to just see it as this very generic and bland. Well, the the troops, we will celebrate the troops. But in terms of the cultural memory, it doesn't hit you. you don't necessarily feel anything in the same way that what percentage of the people listening to this, do you actually like take time on Thanksgiving to actually give thanks for, Hey, I do have a roof over my head. I was able to afford to go to the doctor and I do not have cancer. I, I have successfully lived through another year. It's something that sounds so corny and so cheesy but it is the equivalent of Hollywood only focusing on the crisis or only focusing on what is ultimately a very bad reaction to a crisis, where there's nothing fun about just routine prevention or maintenance or anything like that, even though it's literally the only thing keeping any of us alive. And we right. made, we had a video <laughs> t- making fun of. Bruce Wayne, uh, of Batman fame and how with his billions of all the ways you can fight crime with billions and billions of dollars, putting on a costume and punching criminals one at a time (laughs) with no due process, that is not one of the ways that is the least dollar for dollar. That is the least effective way you can tackle that problem. Our culture, I'm not just blaming Hollywood, our culture and mass media in general favors bad solutions. Politics does the same thing. It is very easy to get money for a war. It is very hard to get money for things like diplomacy, foreign aid, all of which is designed entirely to prevent future wars. You know, you can see a crisis coming at some point. you can see that you know a system is about to, to fall apart. You know, any of the things you could do to try to maintain peace or maintain stability in advance, you cannot get voters to go for.
0: That's so key to celebrate the positive things that especially we can collectively do that are are boring, like solving the ozone layer. When we we're talking about Batman before as a narrative solution to crime, I think about Batman Begins a lot. Because in that movie, there's a scene early on where little boy Bruce Wayne is on his dad's train transit system. And Thomas Wayne is saying like, ah, this transit system is going to help the city. But it's early enough in the movie, and it's before all the Batman stuff, where you, as a viewer, are like, "Cut it out with the stupid like L train." I want, I want to see him hit people. I want to see him wear the outfit. That's when we really fix stuff. Like the movie is sort of implying, like, you know, mass transit's dumb. We need, <laughs> we need a, a guy in a tank in a in a bad outfit.
1: Yeah, who's just actively destroying infrastructure everywhere he goes, just yeah. smashing through walls and and blowing up a bridge <laughs> at one point. You could almost pause any movie, a James Bond movie, for instance. Okay, this terrorist has a truckload of 500 gallons of nerve gas, and they are heading toward Beijing right now. (laughs) And James Bond, we need you to go stop. And it's like, I wish James Bond would stop and say, okay, okay, why were they able to buy 500 gallons of nerve gas? Where was there a lab making this stuff that you guys didn't know about it? Like these ingredients were being purchased. These, these scientists were being recruited. You know, we have intelligence all over the world. You track financial transactions. Why am I just now hearing about this? Because once every six months, someone builds a gigantic headquarters inside a volcano with four nuclear bombs inside of it, and no one noticed <laughs> that that five thousand construction workers were were being paid to go hollow out a volcano. So now you have to go in by yourself and just shoot all of those people. There was there was no <laughs> other way to attack this problem, and other than that,
0: right? We we couldn't avoid me being strapped to a slab with a laser coming toward my penis. That's just foreign policy, folks. It's yes. how it works
1: that that this person was able to purchase a penis burning laser table <laughs> without that popping up on someone's radar so you have Some books you had mentioned that we're going to link here about how this is something that is baked into democracies. This is something I had not read these, but I do find this fascinating.
0: The very start of that sentence sounded like I was linking to laser penis sites, but I'm not. These are very good books. It's two books by a, he's a Cambridge professor of politics and history named David Runciman. One's called The Confidence Trap from 2013, and the other is called How Democracy Ends from 2019. And they collectively are mostly arguing for the idea that if you look at democracies across history, and his new book argues that maybe it's changing a bit with current problems. But uh, he's saying that if you look at democracies across history, they are particularly good at handling crises, but not in a totally positive sense. Like they're they're great at letting problems build up and then only dealing with them once they are a crisis like we'll all we'll all finally pull together against the fascists or the great depression or the particularly bad environmental situations we had in the 60s and 70s when that movement finally gained some traction we will really band together for a crisis when it's happening and then the problem is we don't say okay from now on let's get ahead of stuff we'll say great, we're really good at crises and then build up what he calls the confidence trap, where uh, we just consistently handle something at the last minute, maybe or maybe not totally fix it, and then go forward with a little more complacency and a little more overconfidence.
1: For example, when we talk about infrastructure in America, and I want to make it clear right now, if we did a podcast episode called Infrastructure in America, so few people would listen to it that <laughs> you would probably just have to cancel the show. <laughs> There's occasionally a news article that comes out once every few months about how um, America's got bridges that are crumbling and water mains that are breaking and dams that are cracking. And you just can't get the money to fix it. Yeah. And it, this is something that's been an issue for decades. You can get money to build new infrastructure. That's actually one reason why America's infrastructure is so expensive to maintain. Now all of these things become very, very relevant in terms of how mass media and Hollywood portrays problems and crises, that sort of thing, because trying to rally support for boring maintenance and that kind of thing when it's absolutely necessary, that's rough. A lot of the ways we're going to beat global warming Uh, extremely boring going to be things like zoning and land use and planting trees, but planting trees, it comes down more to like legally how we develop land, how we are able to, you know, how logging works and stuff like that. You want to fall asleep halfway through explaining it where I feel like if we had a giant global warming, killing laser that was going to cost like a trillion dollars, I think we could get that thing built pretty easy Oh, because it's badass (laughs) to explain to people, for example, if everyone switched from eating beef to eating chicken, not even going vegetarian, just switching from beef to chicken, you cut billions of tons of CO2 from the atmosphere because chickens, to be frank, just they fart less than cows. They produce less methane. That is so such a boring solution that no one will do it. We're saying, "Hey, donate today for the giant carbon dioxide destroying laser we're going to build in Alaska." I think you could pretty easily get people to pay for that.
0: Just because I really like Pierce Brosnan and James Bond movies, that laser is like the plot of Die Another Day. Like the villain Gustav Graves is building a laser that harnesses solar energy from space to help us uh, like power the planet in a way that's ecologically positive. Like that's actually a Bond plot
1: there's kind of a limit to the cultural imagination when it all comes down to some sort of a sky laser. (laughs) A a, a lot of movies really do boil down to a lot of Marvel movies boil down to some sort of a a sky laser occurring.
0: Yeah. And and you're right. Like that is just more exciting, more grabby, more Hollywood than the many things we can do and could do to uh, reverse some of this climate stuff. Like climate change is such a boring problem. Many people can get away with claiming it doesn't exist. You know, because figuring out why it exists is pretty boring.
1: And even now getting bogged down in the discussion of it, it's like, well, what's the point? What does this have to do with with holidays? And the whole purpose of a holiday is that you don't spend every day being glad that the harvest occurred. You just you have the food. It's good. But stopping to celebrate, actually celebrate, like honestly, feeling it in your heart that this thing whatever the thing is out there and is doing good and that that will encourage other people to go do that thing it's really really important with christmas even if we've boiled it down to hey it's good to stop and be generous it's good to stop you know and appreciate your family and to get together with people that's pretty good because it is easy to take the other human beings in your life for granted your family, your friends, the people around you, it's easy to kind of assume they'll always be there. And when your job is constantly demanding things from you, the economy is constantly demanding things from you, all of your personal life, you're constantly, your time is under demand. It's easy to assume that, well, my friends and family, like they'll understand if I can't be there for them because they're humans. You you get that, you know, like your 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 job is going to fire you, but your friends are not going to fire you. Having a day, whatever you call that day, when you stop and make yourself get together with everyone and acknowledge that you're doing it because those people matter to you, they're special to you, those relationships matter, and that once they're gone, you will miss them dearly. That's important because stopping to do that is a reminder of just how important it is to have them to stop and notice them when you have a day to stop and appreciate whatever police officers or firefighters or something like that. They have these BS holidays like, Hey, did you know it's national administrative assistant day And like, yeah, okay. You've invented (laughs) another reason to sell greeting cards. Congratulations. There are people listening right now who are going to go travel back wherever they're from for Christmas and they're going to see parents and grandparents and relatives, and they're going to go see them for the last time. And they don't know it's the last time. If you had skipped that, or if you had done it and it's out of a sense of like detached annoyance, and then you find out that was the last time, you will hate yourself. And the world has made it so that we kind of do these things begrudgingly because it's like I had to miss work and I had to go get on a plane or I had to drive for four hours or I had to do whatever. And you're kind of there. It's like you kind of are there out of obligation because you don't know what you're celebrating. You're doing it because somebody told you to do it. The society told you to do it. My only argument here is that finding excuses to go and be with people or go and, and appreciate things things that seem ridiculous to appreciate. And I had mentioned at the very start that if it would help to have a completely new round of holidays, uh, because for instance, I know that from social media, that for example, Valentine's day is very stressful for some people because it's just them being reminded (laughs) that they don't have anyone or being reminded that there are these very specific expectations for a relationship, you know, that the whole thing with like, Oh, Hey, you know, this is the day when you get flowers and you have sex and you eat chocolate. And it's like, well, I'm, I don't like flowers and I'm asexual and I'm diabetic and cannot have chocolate. (laughs) It's something that is for a very narrow set of people that just kind of annoys everyone else or puts them under pressure. I feel like a lot of holidays are at that point. Now I want to begin my movement to come up with a new bunch of holidays that we can all agree to celebrate that include everyone, but that serve the purpose that I've talked about here on an individual level and on a cultural level, part of keeping myself healthy and mentally stable and alive means occasionally stopping to appreciate the good stuff Yeah, that's all worth stopping to appreciate because you, that stuff needs to continue in the future. And if you find yourself constantly thinking that there's nothing worth living for and there's nothing worth working for and that, why am I dragging myself out of bed every day to go work for a company I hate or, you know, or whatever a boss that's mean to me, what's the point of all this you have succumbed to an illusion that society has placed on you because it should be self-evident why it's worth being alive, why it's worth having friends, why it's worth doing stuff and spending time with people. If it's not, that's because I believe you have believed a lie that the culture has kind of sold you, which is that well no there's nothing to be happy about. It's objectively not true. But it is I run into more and more people who either believe that or kind of make a show of believing it. And if it sounds like I'm saying well the reason is, is because they de- didn't celebrate Christmas hard enough, I'm saying that <laughs> the the holidays and the way we treat the holidays is a symptom of the way we approach everyday life. I myself often find myself reacting to holidays with only mild annoyance and would skip them if I could because I have a million deadlines bearing down on me. And it is in trying to examine myself and the fact that I don't stop and celebrate wins and don't see the value and that sort of thing that made me stop and write that and examine it because it seems like almost everyone I know is in the same boat
0: yeah and i i think i didn't say before congrats on the new draft of what i'm very excited to read futuristic violence and fancy suits too it's gonna be awesome
1: thank you yeah and by the way one of the plot points not to spoil something in the book is <laughs> oh, that dude, it spoiler. takes place at halloween oh okay and it is a future in which halloween has become the giant dominant holiday like they, they do like <laughs> halloween eve events. And it's a big gift giving holiday. They give each other like mischievous gifts and they have a giant parade and it's, and so it is a future where, uh, Halloween has expanded to swallow up more and more of the economy. They do not go into why it's left unspoken in the story, why this, the future has done that. Those of you reading the book who have listened to this podcast, you will have an extra little bit of context for why, why that occurs.
0: Oh, I'm so excited. And also, for those of you living in the future Jason has predicted, I think maybe the big takeaway is there are more reasons for the season than Jesus andor skeletons. So, I'll run with that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Folks, that is the episode for this week. My thanks to my pal Jason Pargin for getting into everything from Halloween skeletons to Batman to Pierce Brosnan, James Bond movies to the psychological core of what makes us uh, happy about it being another year or another Chinese New Year. A happy advance year of the rat to all of you who are celebrating that. And in our food notes, we will be celebrating many things, including Jason's column that sparked today's episode. It's titled, Five Reasons Holidays Are Secretly Crucial to Our Survival. And then also we will be citing a lot of new statistics and new figures that have come out since then uh, that we incorporated into this podcast episode, because that, I think, was an exciting thing about this show, to take that great column and tag on the, the latest statistics and latest stories that continue to support what he's getting at. And also, uh, Jason mentioned on the show that some of you may be hearing this as you travel for the holidays, because that's, uh, that's kind of the timing. Uh, and so uh, we're wishing you all safe travels and happy holidays and Merry Christmas and everything else. And there's a few just extra fun notes in there uh, to improve your holiday season. And also this show had some Easter eggs and things about Jason's upcoming books. I'm, I'm very excited for him knocking out these drafts and, and uh, getting the, the publishing process to continue. And so there will be links about pre-ordering or ordering uh, Jason's existing writing. There's also a new anniversary edition of the first John Dies at the End book uh, with a new cover and a new uh, uh, statement from the characters. I think you'll really like it. And there is a link to get that into your hands. Beyond all that, our theme music is Chicago Falcon by the Budos Band. This episode was engineered by Sam Kiefer and edited by Chris Souza. If you love this episode, that's great. If you hated it, let me know about it on social media. That's right social media, a space where I think it is nice seeing people have a good holiday season. Like we talked about the stresses of social media a lot on this show. It's also a space where it's nice to see people being uh, very, very happy about their holidays. And then also when you see that, uh, you know, be sure to remember that people are posting their highlights. So if if you see somebody's glorious Christmas tree and and enormous, uh, I don't know, Lego advent calendar, saw one of those the other day, blew my mind. Anyway, point is, I, I don't think you should should feel that you are missing something if someone else has a particularly exciting post that uh, you feel a little bit of, a tiny bit of envy about you know what I mean you're doing great enjoy the holidays and while you're enjoying them if you want to follow my Twitter account at Alex Schmidty, boy it feels weird plugging that on the heels of that anyway at Alex Schmidty, at Alex Instagram on Instagram website alexschmitty.com point is Merry Christmas Happy Holidays and we will be back next week with another 2019 Cracked Podcast so how about that talk to you then